Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. You know, there's that Zig Ziglar quote that, um, you know, you can get anything you want in life by helping other people get what they want. You can get mentored by someone by helping them achieve their goals. I just kind of came to the conclusion, and a lot of it was influenced by the situation of becoming a foster parent of three kids and kind of feeling that sense of urgency, but I just came to the conclusion, I'm never going to be perfect in the work that I do. It's better to be anxiously engaged in a good cause. You need a goal. You know, in order to actually be motivated, you need a clear goal. Dr. Benjamin Hardy is an organizational psychologist, successful entrepreneur, and best-selling author of Willpower Doesn't Work. His blog is read by millions of people monthly and featured on Forbes, Fortune, CNBC, Cheddar, Big Think, and many others. I've been reading his blog posts regularly for the past three years and have recommended his work in my pop newsletters. I'm super excited to share this interview with one of my personal heroes and mentors with you today. Dr. Hardy came from a broken home and has decided and committed to change his future for the better. Today, he adds priceless value to audiences around the world, helping them to break free from the shackles of what they perceive as a permanent personality. Dr. Hardy is a regular contributor to Inc. and Psychology Today, and from 2015 to 2018, he was the number one writer in the world on Medium.com with over 100 million readers. I am a subscriber to his email list, which he has grown to almost 400,000 in three years without using a single paid ad. Dr. Hardy has a new, controversial, and mind-blowing book coming out June 16, 2020 called Personality Isn't Permanent. I've gotten to read the pre-release for the book, which we'll dive into in this interview. This new book, Personality Isn't Permanent, debunks the most pervasive myths about personality, explains why personality tests like Myers-Briggs and Enneagram are non-scientific, harmful, and lead people to mediocrity. And Dr. Hardy reveals how past traumas negatively shape personality and how to reframe those traumas and change your memories and identity narrative, and tons, tons more. Dr. Hardy speaks and trains at a wide range of events and on top of his career successes, he and his wife Lauren adopted three children through the foster system in February 2018, and just one month later, Lauren became pregnant with twins who were born in December of 2018. Today, they live in Orlando, Florida with their five children. Getting to interview Dr. Benjamin Hardy, or Ben as we called him in the interview, was an incredible honor. Um, it shows so much about the path we've been on, the path I've been on, to be able to resonate at the same level as someone like him. And this guy has, you know, he's going to be selling millions of copies of this book. He is the most read blogger of, you know, most of the last five years. And he feels like a brother to me. He doesn't feel like this big mentor that's impossible to ever reach or access. He's so relatable. And I find that incredible. The things we talked about today are of such significance to me and so top of mind that 
I feel really grateful that I get to kind of share a lot of my story in this interview and a lot of his story and wisdom comes out as well. Um, it's just really cool to see that you can go on this deep journey into yourself and develop who you want to be in your future and really commit to it. And when you do, you meet other people like Dr. Hardy who are committed as well to their future self. And, you know, he's, he's probably 10, seven to 10 years ahead of me. Um, but it makes me really excited to see where I'm going to go. And for you as a listener, if you keep following people of purpose, if you keep, um, you know, reading some of these recommended resources, if you keep taking some of these courses, and if you just stay in touch with you know, what your creator has really put deep inside your heart, um, you're going to find yourself feeling how I'm feeling and feeling how Dr. Hardy feels. Um, and it doesn't mean that things are always going to be perfect, that we always feel like harmony and flow. But it's in those, it's in the retelling of those discomforts and those small like setbacks and those traumas and failures along the way that we find the deepest gratitude for, um, for our journey and love for our future self. And so I'm just really excited to get to work with people like um, like Ben and the influences we both share. In this interview, we talked a lot about Dr. Joe Dispenza um, and just see what we can create, who we can become and, and develop a strong intention and reason as to why we're becoming that. Uh, I just love his service to the world and it feels really great to get to collaborate and to share something like this episode we created in this interview. Thank you so much for being on this journey with us. And I truly hope that you can enjoy this interview with Dr. Ben Hardy and that you will pick up this book, Personality Isn't Permanent. You will read it, absorb it, go through the journaling exercises like I was able to and just share this with people because this is how we change the world. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy today's interview with today's person of purpose, Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Hello, Dr. Benjamin Hardy, and welcome to People of Purpose. It's such an honor to get to interview you today. Dude, the honor is mine. We talked like a month ago or something like that, and it's cool to be back together. Yes, it is. It's really awesome. Thank you for doing the pre-interview. It really helped me to prepare for this interview. You're welcome. I actually don't do those anymore, so I'm glad that we did it. <laughs> I know that you're putting yourself through a lot. I think you said you had 600 podcast interviews, so... I, I don't know. Well, we'll see how many I actually do when it comes to the end of the year. But dude, just happy to be with you. Thank you. Well, I absolutely loved your book. I think it's packed full of wisdom that um, I, I have internalized in my various ways on my path. And you seem to know it very deeply and you put words to it that are excellent um, and science to it. And it's just brilliant to get to meet someone who's validated so many of the truths that I kind of carry about how life can unfold and what we can make of this world. And yeah, I'm glad you liked it, man. I'm excited to, you know, hear what, uh, what you love, you know, what, what stuck out or what areas you want to focus on for your audience. But, uh, thank you for reading the book. Seriously, that, that means a lot to me. Yeah, man, of course. Like it was a, it was an opportunity. It's probably the biggest growth opportunity for my podcast so far to get to read a pre-release book that probably is going to sell millions of copies and get to meet someone like yourself. It's an honor. Good. Happy to be with you, man. So um, I kind of wanted to start off maybe talking specifically about one thing that I think stood out to you personally about writing the book. Um, and it was in this section about like reframing your story and overcoming trauma through doing that. Um, you, you said this profound 
um, part about how adopting kids has helped you work through trauma with your own dad and helped you rewrite the story of your dad. Um, how is it that adopting these, these children has really helped you to foster this new personality and purpose? Yeah, I mean, shoot. Before, and I won't say I was a very selfish person. I think we all, you know, I mean, I was doing a lot of great things, but before becoming a foster parent of three kids, most of my attention was on myself, you know, and rightfully so. But once I became a foster parent of three kids, like I was required by the situation to like, think about what these kids wanted, what, what mattered to them. Um, you know, and I learned a lot. I grew a lot. I became a lot more empathetic just as a person for them, their difficulties, their challenges. And it, and it helped me to better understand my own dad. You know, my, my dad was never a foster kid, but he definitely was an adoptive child. He was adopted. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think I ever really appreciated what that meant. Like in becoming a parent of foster kids, there's a book actually called The Primal Wound, but it talks a lot about just the difficulty of being separated from your biological parents. Like it's a subconscious thing. You, you know, you can overcome it. You can be really healthy emotionally and in an adoptive situation, but it, there's still something really challenging there. I just didn't really appreciate or I didn't have perspective on that for my father's sake before that. Right. Yeah, I think that's beautiful how how things have really come full circle with your father. Um, I certainly have felt some of that towards my own mom. She And she was adopted. So we have that similarity. My mom was adopted. She kind of left me at age 15, 16. Um, she was, became suicidal for a bit there. And then um, nowadays we like we did online church together the last 11 weeks and we get to talk about these deep things in our life, no matter where we're at. And um, it's still challenging, but we've definitely reframed a lot of our relationships. So yeah, that part just really resonated with me. Cool to hear that. So is your mom doing all right now? Is she doing better? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, she's doing well. She moved to kind of her dream place. And I think the process of, we changed custody when I was uh, 15, 16 years old. And so that process like really destabilized her. But like you talk about in, the, in your book, that can be really transformative. So she started to live more from her future ideal self and she moved to Southern California. She started going to the beach and running there instead of running on concrete in Topeka. She became like a small group leader in singles ministry. Um, and before that, she's just been living for her kids and her kids were like moving out, moving on. And we were having a lot of issues during my teenage years. Um, she was kind of holding me back to like my preteen times. And I was saying, it's time for me to take the advanced high school classes. It's time for me to consider going out of state for college. And it was just very hard for her to embrace um, me growing into who I wanted to be. Yeah. That's cool, man. It's cool that you're both doing well and that you can be really connected and respectful towards each other and really connected. That's so cool. Yeah. And then another part of your book that I thought was incredible on so many levels was the story of Melissa near the end of the book. That's a crazy story, right? Yeah. I, I, you found some gold with that story. Like she says that, you know, <laughs> you she, like that I threw that at the very end, you know, at the conclusion. Yeah, man. It was really like, that was the moment of your book that I kind of teared up. Like the rest is like, you never go like fully deep enough for me to like really go super emotional because you have so many topics you're trying to cover and you cover them perfectly, I would say. But on this one, it went so deep and like was so culminating from the rest of the book um, that I I just kind of stared off into nothingness and like it was it was a profound moment like you know there's certain books you read where you have these moments where time kind of falls away you go really deep inside and you you've just unlocked a new like 
feeling that you've never really had before. And your book kind of gave me that during this Melissa time of the book. So, dude, that's really cool. I don't know if you, I mean, before we can go deep into that. I don't know if you want to share more about like what you actually felt because you said you had a new experience. I'd, I'd just be open to like you kind of breaking down that experience because that's as a reader, you know, and as, I'm a writer, but I'm more of a reader than a writer. I mean, I've, I can tell I, you're a reader. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, and I look for those experiences, those peak experiences. And so yeah. I'm just interested in what was the experience that you had after you read the story of Melissa or while you were reading it or whatever. Well, I think the way you tell your stories is really good. You you don't really give away the ending of the story. You're, you're like telling the story in the present tense from the perspective of, of that person. I mean, you're keeping it fairly objective. And so it's really easy to practice empathy with her. And when you take me on this empathetic journey from, um, you know, the way you laid out the action scene of she was falling asleep, her child, she was supposed to take care of her child, her husband wasn't answering the phone. And then, you know, the crack of the of the screen door, and then you follow the footprints out. And then you come to this bank of a river where you can see that the kid fell. And then eight miles down the way, his body was found. And, you know, it just feels so much for this woman that she had this totally like destabilizing traumatic experience where she carries so much guilt. And I think we've all like had maybe not to that extent, but we've had these moments in which we're like, wow, we need I need to turn my life around. Um, And for me, mine was falling down the mountain at Yosemite National Park. I had a, a major accident when I was 19 where I was doing some hiking that kind of turned into a bit of climbing. Um, my brother got stranded on an area where he kind of kicked out rock. And I ended up falling and tumbling down the mountainside. Um, it was about 50 feet of rolling on like an 80 degree slope. And then I did a couple flips over like a 15 foot uh, cliff. And I ended up like, you know, everything going white, sound going away and going into shock. and then you know, sitting by the the mountain freezing for multiple hours while my dad went down to get search and rescue. Um, and I spent the night on the mountain in a stretcher pondering like, what happened if I would have died? You know, what would, what do I regret? Where, where do I feel guilt? Who do I need to apologize to? Who do I want to become in this world? Um, what's my purpose? What's my mission? What's my service? What are my gifts? Um, and I just really feel like Melissa went through that process. Um, and she was going the opposite way to where instead of like, for me, I was like, oh, I've hit rock bottom. There's nowhere to go but up from here. Like I've felt so much clarity and so much connection with my creator and my purpose. Um, and Melissa, she, she lost her child. And so she was preparing to commit suicide. And the way you walk through that um, from her perspective in the present moment was just beautiful. And so I was... I was feeling for her, like her grief became something I felt. And then the power of this outside person to completely change your life. This, um, was it, I forget the lady's name, but she wrote the letter. It was Teresa, wasn't it? I, I think so. Off. I, haven't read, yeah. read that, I haven't heard that story for a while, but love that story, dude. Yeah, so this Teresa woman, uh, someone she doesn't know at all, just gave her condolences and like also shared that she also went through something similar. Um, I remember when I fell down the mountain, it felt really alienating to others. Like I, I didn't want to share the story with people because I felt like they couldn't really understand. And I was still trying to understand what I, what I just went through. Um, but this other woman and her could, could confide in each other. Um, and then that helped her to like 
instead of writing a goodbye letter to her son, she wrote the letter about like how she's going to be a good mom. And 10 years later, she gives it to him. It's just, it's just a beautiful story all around. And it made me respect the fragility of human, but also like the ability for, you know, if one person becomes that empathetic listener, um, how you can be, become totally like purpose driven. Um, and now what she's doing to like be purpose driven and dedicate her entire life to helping other people who don't feel heard. Absolutely beautiful. I'm so happy you told that story. Dude, it's crazy to hear your story and about how your experience led you to having a sense of purpose and meaning for your life, right? That maybe wasn't as vivid or as clear before that extreme experience. Right. It's pretty intense. No, yeah. It was very intense. And it's, I did your journaling exercises, the gap to gain exercise. Um, and that is probably the, the greatest like experience of gratitude that I have. Um, it, it felt like the most negative thing because my body was wrecked. I got a major concussion. I broke my vertebrae a little bit. Um, I, yeah, just everything was thrown off, but it has, it's the reason we're sitting here today and I'm on a podcast that I created called people of purpose, meeting people like yourself. Um, it's just allowed me to say yes to life and have a huge faith and feel so connected to like what my service is. And sometimes I fall away from it cause that's natural. Um, but I always have this like route to come back to, which I feel really blessed to have a lot of people that haven't, that have only gone through more subtle or minor traumas that they're not as aware of. They kind of live in this like halfway in halfway out kind of state. And I'm grateful that I've really had to intentionally choose it. Um, and it drives me forward. So Dude, your story is cool, yeah, man. your story really resonated. Your story is cool. I definitely chose to give my past a positive spin as well, as far as the gap and the gain. And I think that that's one of the things I try to convey in the book is that the past is a meaning. You know, and you can choose to say that that was the worst thing that happened to me, or you can choose to say that's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. That is a choice. It's a perspective. Uh, it's a meaning. It's not actually, there's none of it's fact. It's all just the freely chosen meaning that you give to an experience. And so I love that you have been able to just choose to view probably what was the worst thing you've ever gone through and saying that this is potentially the best thing that ever happened to me. That's a choice. And that's a mature choice. You know, like when I, when I grew up, you know, as I mentioned in state very bluntly in the book, like. I had a pretty rough childhood in many ways, but I can look back now and say that that's all the best thing that's ever happened to me because it led me to, you know, in my case, I ended up serving a church mission, being extremely passionate on that mission because I had extreme context or contrast to measure it against. And I went on that mission experience because I wanted to have a different life. And I wouldn't have wanted that as bad if I hadn't have gone through such challenging experiences as a young man. Um, Right. I wouldn't have chosen the wife I chose had I not gone through the stuff I went through. I mean, my wife was, she went through a lot of trauma herself as far as an extremely abusive relationship. The reason I was really attracted to her is because I saw what she had become and what she had gone through. I'm like, holy cow, me and this person could create a lot of cool stuff together, which, you know, we're already doing as far as three foster kids doing all sorts of stuff that I wouldn't have chosen nor been interested nor willing to do or, or had the purpose to do had it not been through a lot of my extreme experiences in the past, which I'm very grateful for. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It sounds like you have a really beautiful relationship with her and I'm happy that she chose you and your personality type, um, despite what her parents were saying about that. That was lucky, dude. Yeah. I'm glad she did too. I'm glad that she took a leap of faith. That's what it took for her. <laughs> yeah. 
when did you when did you realize that you could um transform your kind of melissa moments like i don't know exactly what those moments are you kind of reference them more vaguely you talk about like being 11 you talked about like um i think your junior year of high school switching custody um you talked about like this period of time where you were just playing video games all day and not going to college um in these like melissa moments that you had where you like were kind of given up on life in certain ways but then you were being redirected back to the path um yeah what did you what do you carry forward today that's still like when did you realize you had those that ability to kind of reshape a future based on these kind of events was that a tangible discovery or how did you go about discovering no i mean what it really is is this and and i still do it every day you know like literally a week or two ago i had a big failure personally since we've talked and it was very embarrassing for me such that it was almost a trauma and it could have been a trauma but i then chose to frame it in a positive way and as something that happened for me not to me so that i could then have more agency and choice in my future more options rather than just saying Oh, I suck at this. Therefore, I only have one choice, which is to go and do something else. Um, and so I think that's something I'm still learning how to do and getting better at. But when it, what a big aspect of trauma or just negative experiences is that they that you you tend to get defined by a prior experience and your hope and imagination and purpose for your future go away. And so I think for me, a lot of it had to do with you know, when I was out of high school and I was doing nothing with my life, sitting on my cousin's couch playing World of Warcraft all day, <laughs> I really just wasn't happy. And I think a lot of people aren't happy when they're just living moment to moment because of negative experiences in the past, which they're still being defined by. And for me, I was just like, I mean, I did connect back with my faith in God big time. That's what led me to serving my mission. But I also just chose to, you know, I did have encouragement. You know, I had someone come up to me and encourage me, took me out to lunch a few times and encouraged me to say, look, regardless of what's happened in the past, that's that kind of empathetic witness of, you know, regardless of whatever's happened in the past, dude, then you can have a great future. Like, and I needed to hear that and believe it even in a small dose mm -hmm. uh, in order to actually start investing back in myself, investing in my future, maybe connecting back with God, making a decision to go serve a church mission. We wouldn't need to be that decision for everyone, but I then started to stop lulling, you know, and stop just numbing myself. And I was just like, you know, and I, and I know, I know people who have numbed themselves for decades, you know, like literally. Yeah. And so for me, I was just like, I'm not going to numb myself anymore. Like I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to move forward and I'm going to do something that's going to change my life. And I'm going to start believing in hope again and having a purpose. And like, you need that. You know, I don't know if you and I talked about it, but I read Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, twice during COVID-19. And that book is really impacting me right now. But, you know, Frankl, who wrote his book in the, in the Holocaust, the German, you know, concentration camps, he said that. He said, when you lose a sense of hope and purpose for your future, the present becomes meaningless. And in some situations, it becomes so unbearable that you die. You know, when you're in a concentration camp and you're starving, yeah. you die. In my case, my present was really meaningless. I was just playing World of Warcraft all day. It wasn't necessarily like extreme suffering, but it was just extreme apathy. And you, so you need purpose. You need a future. You need, and what Frankl says is your purpose is a freely chosen task. Freely chosen. And so for me, I chose to go on a mission, chose to do what's next. Now I choose to be a parent, 
choose to have conversations with people like you. So it's a freely chosen task that gives your life meaning and purpose and hope, which allows your, and so I don't know, man, I just think at some point I had someone talk to me, help me, and then encourage me to make a decision that I knew would be good for me that would require me to change and grow, which it does take courage to do that, but I'm glad I did it. And I'm still continuing to hopefully do that. Although we all sometimes get in our own way. Yeah. And I'm glad you did too. And I know you mentioned in the book that you had this period where you thought about just casting aside all the opportunities you had and going back from what your mentor's advice was and just, you know, not really giving us this gift that you have, but I'm really grateful that you did write this book and whatever else you create in the future, whether it's books or courses or, you know, who knows what it looks like. Um, it'd be dude, cool to create I'm something right together you, in the future dude. too. Right back at you, man. I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you. So how do you, what is this underlying purpose that you're talking about? Like, how do you, how do you define your purpose or define what purpose is? I mean, I think like Frankel said, it's a freely chosen task. Mm -hmm. You know, here's a quote from Frankel. It's uh, something I really enjoy. Let's see here. Frankel said this. I've got the document open somewhere. Here we go. This is what Frankel said. And I think that this really helps. Um, but he basically said, life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by a lack of meaning and purpose. And then he goes on to say, what man actually needs is not a tensionless state, but rather the striving and struggling for a worthwhile goal, a freely chosen task. So I think that that's it. I mean, I think that, um, you know, this is kind of what brought brings us to the concept of future self, but your future self from my perspective is not what you discover. It's what you decide. And I think that, you know, whether you're a person of faith or not, if you are a person of faith, I think God wants us to choose, you know, choose who we want to be. And hopefully that resonates with who he wants us to be, but that's ultimately a choice we make. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but I think that your future self is someone you, you want to be, it's the person you want to be. And it may not be that person. You're not, you may not be that person now. And I think that it, that has a lot to do with, you know, who you want to be as far as circumstances, who you want to be as far as characteristics and attributes, who you want to be as far as your relationships, your day-to-day -day life, your sense of meaning and purpose in life. It's just defining, you know, where you want to be and who you want to be. And then maybe even choosing a task, you know, that whole freely chosen task that gives your life meaning. So for me, you know, for a while it was serving that mission. For a while, my purpose was, comp you know, completing a PhD. Uh, you know, a lot of my purpose has a lot to do with being a great husband and father for my kids, you know, could be writing books that inspire people, but it's just a freely chosen task that allows you to become the person you genuinely want to be. Right. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think that that, that's a great definition. And I like that you say it's not something you have to sit around for to wait to like have this moment of clarity or discovery. You just choose it and it makes it feel like way more um in reach for most for people like it's not this big grand thing that you have to be hit by lightning and feel a certain way and you're a chosen I one think or whatever. that will rarely happen <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i agree with you and, and I, you have this beautiful like quote you know i like the quote be i like the quote be anxiously engaged in a good cause um when i was anxiously engaged thinking about writing online you know, when I was writing on, when I was thinking about writing online, I, I actually got home from that mission experience in 2010 and I didn't start writing until 2015. And so for those five years, I wanted to be a writer. I was very busy going to college and stuff like that, meeting my wife and stuff. But a big reason why I didn't go 
go for it is because I was too afraid to be wrong. Mm. I was too, you know, and, and I think courage is the willingness to potentially be wrong. Courage is the willingness to try something that could fail. Um, I think that's potentially faith as well as trying something that it's not certain, but you, you're exercising that faith. Right. Um, and so I just kind of came to the conclusion and a lot of it was influenced by the situation of becoming a foster parent of three kids and kind of feeling that sense of urgency. But I just came to the conclusion, I'm never going to be perfect in the work that I do. It's better to be anxiously engaged in a good cause. Mm. Like it's better to be just trying to do something good and getting better as I go. And I think that that's kind of still where I'm at today is realizing even maybe looking back on old blog posts that I could have said things a lot better. Maybe I said things that I no longer agree with, but I'm glad that I was putting out that imperfect work and trying to be engaged in a good cause, having a good desire, even if it was an imperfect execution and just moving forward. And when you move forward, you build that confidence, which then further allows you to choose a higher sense of purpose for your life. And so yeah, I think it's something you just got to, you've got to choose a worthwhile goal, a freely chosen task, something that gives your life meaning, something that gives you something to hope in and hope for, and uh, something that you genuinely want or believe in, and then just move towards that. And that's what builds, that's what deepens it within you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I do think you made a near perfect move to put a, to create this culture wall and put that quote, the prolific, not perfect and then you have like the stacks of like imperfectly shaped cues, but they're actually there versus one perfect one. Have you seen that one? I, yeah, I looked at your blog post about your culture wall. because About the 20 pictures? Book. Yeah, it's really nice. interesting, man. I wanted to talk about yeah, it a I have bit a later. culture wall literally with me. I, I mean, if you want, I'm, I'm, I'm at my office here, but I could show you a 40 tile culture wall if you want right now. Sure. All right, this thing's pretty cool. Um, Obviously, we won't go look at all the images, but uh, we can we can zoom in on the one you're talking about. So, this is uh, this is a forty tile culture wall right here. Whoa! Uh, here's a nine tile culture wall, but uh, I think you're talking about. Oh, it's right down here. Is this it? Boom! Yeah, yep, yep. That's the one I saw online. Better. Can you actually see it? I don't really. I'm holding my 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 computer. Yes, I can. Can you actually see it? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, dude. This is a this is a culture wall. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> kind of it's huge. Yeah. Each of these are one foot by one foot. This thing's a little off, but yeah, this is never be the former anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't read the label from inside the jar. Embrace your future to change your past. So, some thoughts. I'll go back to my. Uh, my spot where there's a microphone. Hopefully this doesn't throw you off too bad. In the- can you, can you sit, can you uh, put your face in front of that and I take a screenshot? Sure. Let's do it. <laughs> I like it. That's beautiful. It's adds so much color too. Dude, it's, a, it's, it's huge, man. I don't even know how to do this. All right. Three, two, one. <laughs> Very cool. Thank you. I'm glad you read that about the culture wall. So you liked that? Yeah, I did. All right, I should uh, engage our listener right now real quick while you get settled. Go ahead. If you're listening right now to the podcast, please pause it and we won't be going anywhere. Um, and if you're enjoying this and believe the world would be better if others were listening, please pause the podcast and take a minute to give us a five-star rating and a short review inside the app you're listening on. Thank you so much. We'll be right here. You're awesome, dude. All right. 
All right, Ben or Dr. Hardy. I don't know. I, I'm imagining you, call, you just want call me more ben, of the, Just call me Ben. The normal name, Ben. Yeah. Um, so let's step into your bio. I think your bio is also um, beautifully shared. And again, there's so many similarities I feel with you. Like um, I grew up with divorced parents and you said you changed custody your junior year. I changed my sophomore year of high school. Um, and then you had this period of time where you just felt really apathy, apathy towards your life until you went and did a mission trip. For me, like um, my period after college was pretty apathetic for a few months there. I had a breakup and my grandmother died and I was working a sales job that felt soulless to me. Um, but then I, I moved to Thailand. Um, when did like what about the mission trip actually changed your life? Like when did you know you had something to like teach and write about and blog about? Um, was was the beginnings of those during your mission trip or on the tail end of it? How did the mission trip actually go about redirecting you into the life that you're living now? I mean, I definitely didn't think I was going to be a writer at the beginning of the mission trip. Let's just say that it was two years long. You know, I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for two years. Right. So I think the thing that really got me, I mean, obviously a lot of it was my faith in God transformed, you know, that transformed a lot of how I saw things. You know, I really developed a great relationship with God, but also just saw a lot of things that I was completely ignorant of or unaware of before, such as just going into like ghettos, you know, or being into really bad situations. Um, and helping people who are just going through way worse things than me. Uh, that was all really eye-opening. Uh, you know, but I also just read a ton of books while I was there. And I wrote stacks and stacks of journals recounting my experiences. And that's where I really learned how to write and just still do. I still learn how to write just through journaling to myself. But yeah, that's kind of where I, when I read a lot of the good books, you know, both religious, also just more self-improvement. Mm -hmm. that's when I was like, this would be something really fun to do. I actually initially thought that I was going to more write religious books, to be honest with you. But, you know, after I got home from that experience, started going to school, continued learning, I just felt like this would be a better, at least initial approach. Maybe my future self will be in a different direction. But, you know, for now, I just really fell in love with psychology and yeah. thought that this would be a fun, a fun application and a fun way to share things, which hopefully can help people, you know, get, so was it during, get, it was it, yeah. Was it during your mission trip that you started to really find all these mentors that you discuss about in the book, like where you really dove deep into people's work in the, in this like self-help space, spirituality? No, space? I think that the one, the one that really opened me up on my mission was Stephen Covey. He was the one I read, you know, he wrote seven habits of highly effective people. I read his book, spiritual roots of human relations. I read that book when I was on that mission experience. And that was like the first kind of real self-help book I'd honestly read. <laughs> and so I was like, whoa. And so, yeah, that was kind of the major one. Aside from that, I was reading mostly spiritual and religious books. But then when I got home, I got way more into self-improvement, like during my first few years in college and just really studying it. Um, Why was that? Just the practicality of needing to pass through college? while No, having a no, no. I was, was already it? on fire. I mean, I would have flew flew through college after that mission i mean after that mission college was easy but no my 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 mom's way into it i mean it's not like i wasn't exposed to it. my mom actually showed me the movie the secret when i was like 14 years old you know what i mean and like obviously that's kind of a weird you know some degree weird movie but like my mom's had books all over the place you know and she was just into into this stuff and so she gave me like the book the compound effects and i just was 
consuming. I mean, I was very much in a growth oriented mode um, after that experience. And so I was consuming lots of books, reading all sorts of stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. both religious, but also self-improvement and just, just, I was in a deep learning state at that point. You know, this was in 2010 when I first got home from that experience. So I was just actively seeking it and just wanting more and more. I'd fallen in love with reading on my mission and just read for hours a day and journaled for hours. And I continued to do that afterward and continue to study psychology and was just like deep in the learning mode, man. That's beautiful. So you came back in 2010 and then you started blogging in 2015. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. When, how did that transition start to where you're like, I'm a blogger, I'm going to be a consistent blogger and I'm going to be the best blogger, the most read blogger. Like how did, how did that go about? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think that a lot, a, lot of, a lot of that has to do with future self. You know, I wanted to be a professional writer. I wanted to for the major publishers. And so in 2014 to 15, you know, end of 14, we moved to Clemson, South Carolina, which is where I did my PhD in mm-hmm. August of 2014. And so I started school in 2000, 2014. And so it was in my first year of my program. I just was, I felt like I was in a new environment. Uh, I'm now going to school and I've got, you know, interestingly in a PhD program, depending on how you schedule things and stuff, like you actually have time. And so like, I just felt like I have time in the morning. I could write before 8 a.m. Uh, I feel like it's the time. And so I started actually studying like people like Seth Godin, Michael Hyatt, like people who like talk about building a platform, Jeff Goins, Brian Holiday, Tim Ferriss, yeah. just these people who talk about how to do it. <laughs> you know, I actually started studying that. And then I just decided after asking a lot of questions and I really want to be a professional author, I'd wanted that for a while, but I really started to like clarify my goal, you know, my worthwhile task, I guess you could say. And that was to get a six figure book deal. I just really wanted to accomplish that goal so that I could provide for my family and so that I could do that. Cause I didn't want to be a traditional psychologist. I wanted to be right. an author. And so once I, you know, once I was starting to study how to do it and I ultimately committed to, I'm going to figure out how to get a six figure book deal. Then I got really serious about investing in that goal and in, in educating myself. So like once I, I, I asked tons of agents, I mean, I just got serious about it. Um, right. And uh, I got committed to it, you know, and a lot of it had to do with the situation. A lot of it had to do with, I started investing in it. A lot of it had to do with, I started finally researching how to do it. Um, And I felt like I was ready at that point to do that. I could have been ready a few years ago, a few years before that, if I had started investing in it and getting serious about the process, Yeah, Uh, I just wasn't there. So I, yeah. So, I mean, I invested in an online course, taught me how to write viral headlines, but you need a goal, you know, in order to actually be motivated, you need a clear goal. Right. I didn't have that before. And so once I could clarify, I want a six figure book deal, then I could actually reverse engineer that into a process of how do I actually get there? And that's what ultimately led me to getting hundreds of thousands of email subscribers and learning how to blog to millions of people because I had a very clear and compelling and exciting purpose for future self that I was very committed to. How much of that was your innate talent and gifts? as a writer and, and someone who could stay disciplined and consistent with what you were doing versus just I think it was following gifts. the script. I don't think it was innate gifts. I think that I actually think that many gifts are, are received um, or developed, you know, mm-hmm. you know, from a spiritual standpoint, I think we can receive gifts. Um, I don't think I had the innate gift to write. I think that by that point, by 2015, I had spent tens of thousands of hours journaling. I could show you the stacks. <laughs> um, and so like at that point and I, and I would say I'm not a trained writer 
you know, at this point, actually, I got a lot more mentoring through personalities and permanent. When I wrote, if I go back and I reread this book, Willpower Doesn't Work, I'm like, holy cow, this is a very unpolished book. When I actually like look at it from my current self size, um, my right. future self will probably say the same thing, but I'm not a polished writer. You know, it's, it's not like I'm a trained writer. Um, a lot of it's just, I just communicate. I just communicated, you know, I mean, I did say prayers and things like that. And I still do before I write. And so I ask for help, but uh, a lot of it's just communicating as honestly and openly as you can. And honestly, right. when I was a missionary, I learned how to do that. I mean, we were communicating all day, teaching, serving, helping, right. and also just studying psychology. So I, I wouldn't say none, I wouldn't say any of it is a natural gift. A lot of it could be developed gifts or received gifts or just developed skills. Right. But uh, I don't know if any of it was just nat natural me because none of that was evident in prior versions of my life. Like, it's not like I was good at writing back in high school. Yeah, beautiful. Well, let's talk about what you wrote. You have your new book coming out, Personality Isn't Permanent. I've obviously gotten to read the pre-release. And what, how would you describe um, the core argument or thesis of the book? The core message of the book is that I think most people, or at least many people, but potentially most, it's the easiest way to go, is to have your personality be driven by your past, um, mm -hmm. for, for who you were in the past to be driving who you are today, and for your explanation of yourself to be based on who you've been in the past. And the invitation of this book is for your future to be the thing driving your behavior, your desired chosen future, and that rather than your goals being based on your personality that your personality should be based upon your goals and that you can become the kind of person who can have what you want in your life um and so that's that's the invitation of this book is to have who you are today being driven by your future versus being driven by your past yes great um i i loved the way you went through the book the order you brought us through um maybe we can just kind of I don't know, go through, go through that. I have so many questions. I'm not going to get to all of them. It's not a, whatever ones you like, think are, are most interesting or more important to you personally, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, whatever it is a different book, you know, I mean, to be honest with you, I, uh, I wrote probably 50 different table of content versions, you know, like at some, at one point there was going to be like 40 chapters, you know, like at one point and at some point I just was like, it, it ended up being like six or seven really long chapters, you know? Yeah. And so it was just very different. I read through that at the end of the book, how you were really thankful to Tucker Max. And, um, there was another guy too, that helped you really um, revise and get it a lot shorter and more difficult stuff, man. I mean, it's yeah. not like I did this by myself, you know, and uh, yeah. there were many times when I wanted to give up on this book, like, or there were many times I'm like, it's good enough, like on very far versions to what it is now. And people are like, no, we see a lot of potential in this book, Ben. We're not letting you call it at this point. Like, nice. and so we had to push the publication date back twice. I mean, it was tough, man. So like, I, I definitely didn't say I just did this by Congratulations, myself. Congratulations, man. Like, and did, did you hit your goal? You have your first six figure book deal? Uh, that was with willpower doesn't work. Yeah, I got that with this. You know, I mean, this was a nice. multi six figure book deal. So that that was several years ago. But yeah, I did that. I did that a while ago. It was great. Cool. Well, I would say like one underlying thing that that we need to get good at throughout everything you talk about in the book is getting better at visualizing and understanding this future self that we want to create. Um, I love what you talked about with Matthew McConaughey. I've heard that story a few times before. How. He says did you go and watch role... the video on did you go watch the video on YouTube by chance? No, I you did gotta not. watch it. You gotta watch his speech. It's good. All righty. 
Yeah, he, I mean, if he, for people that never heard, he he talks about how his um, who he is ten years from now is who, is who his role model is or who his mentor is, and then when he's yeah. there, it's his, his himself ten years later. So he's never actually there, but he's always striving and moving towards it. Um, I think that you know why I like that actually, and it, there's a lot of good research behind this. So his mentor and his his you know his example, I guess you could say, is himself in in ten years from now. Mm-hmm. What's really cool when you kind of pull in all the psychology research is, is that first off, who you are today shouldn't be the be all end all. You know, a lot of people are very definitive in how they explain themselves today. I am an introvert, extrovert, however they explain themselves. Yeah. It's very focused on now. Um, Carol Dweck, who she wrote the book Mindset, she's the one who coined the term fixed mindset, growth mindset, but she's very much people who have a fixed mindset define themselves by where they are today. Mm-hmm. Whereas people with a growth mindset, they even if they fail or have a bad experience, they are not defined by where they are today. They are defined by where they want to be in the future. And like basically where the research is at on all this now is, is that you want to look at your former self as a different person. I think that, you know, we can all agree that maybe we've gone through experiences like you before that big fall, right? It's not like fundamentally you're a different person, but maybe actually you are, you know, like, you know, you see the world very differently now than you did before that big accident and also how you've chosen to process it. Um, Mm -hmm. you have, you make different decisions. Now you have different priorities, different habits, different goals. Like if I was to meet the former version of you and the current version of you, and you guys didn't look the same, like it was just two, I I probably wouldn't think you were the same person. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it just pushes you in front of mentors and books and wisdom and practices and with like all these things that, that start to make you a new person anyways. Like, yeah, I would have never, you know, wanted to go live abroad and wanted to like study you yoga now deeply continue and... to create experiences that continue to elevate transform and expand you yeah exactly man i'm in a joe dispensa course right now with a group of 12 people mostly in bali and i'm doing these like hour and a half meditations now and Dude, just you're incredible. intense man <laughs> you're intense i love it what you talk what you talk about with the future self and stuff and i'm happy you you talked about joe dispensa in the book because joe dispensa has been probably my biggest mentor of 2020 so far He's, Um, yeah, he's blowing up. Let's just say his work is very, very good. I I think his work's very good too. I loved his book. I figured you liked it, yeah. Yeah, I like the book, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. I thought that, I read that while I was writing this and I was like, wow, there's a lot of synergy there. Um, (laughs) But it's really good to view your former self as a different person. You're not exactly the person. You shouldn't have negative judgment towards your former self, but it's just good to realize you're a different person. But that same fact exists about your future self. Your future self should be viewed as a different person. They have different capacity, different understanding. They're going to have gone through things that you just haven't gone through, <laughs> frankly. Yeah. And hopefully they've got better knowledge and understanding, et cetera. And so with that in mind and kind of pulling from McConaughey, you can start to make decisions based on what your future self would want. You know, like you can visualize who that future self is 10 years out. I even think you could do it two to three years out. Where do you want to be in two to three years from now? And you can start to get notes from that future self, not as you're not by who you are today, but what do they want you to do? What would they encourage you to do? The question I have for you about this, I, I know Joe Dispenza has his take on this, but how do we get better at visualizing the future self? Because we're always limited by what we've been presented in the, like the known physical world, how do we get beyond just like what people in our environment have shown us as possible and actually think bigger and better and more like authentically to like who we want to actually become, you know, in a more yeah. spiritual or I mean, emotional Maybe realm. you should just teach us some dispensa for a second. We'll see how, we'll see where I, you tell us some dispensa and I'll share with you my thoughts on that. 
Well, he's all about like um, creating a strong intention and elevated emotion. And that should come from a place that's much beyond just the physical known world around you. It should come from um, getting into communion kind of with like your heart's voice and um, and like your creator. And then, you know, wanting to make that contact with the divine so that you can commune with the divine within and then that divine creator within can move into um you know the feelings and um, intentions of what your future self looks like feels like is um and as you like you know you you walk as if your prayers have already been answered you you embody the feeling be do um, have right the identity and all that sort of stuff yeah there's a whole be first then do then have you be yes. the person you want to be. So he, he, but on a practical level, he talks about getting there through meditation, right? Yes. Yeah. That's probably- you open up your heart. You connect with who you want to be through meditation from his perspective. Right. Right. And it seems like you do a lot through journaling more so. Yeah. I think that, I think the meditation, journaling, prayer, all very similar concepts. Right. Um, and so, yeah, for me, it's getting myself in the right space, putting, putting myself in the right environments, journaling, visualizing, just thinking about, and praying, you know, but just thinking about who do I really want to be, um, writing goals down, you know, like, I think, you know, I like the quote from Albert Einstein, where he said, imagination is more important than more important than knowledge. And so I think that rather when you're thinking about your future self, you know, rather than assuming or projecting your current circumstances on your future self, it's, it's actually having the freedom to say that your future self is going to be in a totally different situation. Right. Totally different circumstances. They're going to be a different person. They're not limited by the constraints you are limited by. So who do you genuinely want to be if you, you know, play with it from an imagination standpoint? You know, like where would you genuinely want to be if you weren't so limited by your current mindsets or circumstances? Like what would you want? Right. The question is what would, you know, and so, yeah, I think that that's, it takes time, but I think you can get better and better getting your journal and just doing that. I mean, as I've said to you in prior conversations, I would love to sell millions and millions of copies of this book you know, my, my present self isn't there yet, but that's what I would genuinely want. And those are the circumstances I should be thinking about today versus Mm -hmm. projecting my limiting circumstances on my future. I should be projecting my incredibly expansive future circumstances on my present. Right. And saying, if this is what I really want, what should I be doing about this right now? And so I think it's just choosing again, a freely chosen task, but also just what what is the circumstances and situation you want? And then like you said with Spenza, walking and talking as if it's already true. You know, like he talks about gratitude for your future self, right? And about gratitude for... Gratitude is the ultimate state of receivership. He says that quote a lot in his meditations. Receivership. I think that that's true. I think gratitude creates a lot of things. I mean, this morning I freely chose to send a, two gratitude texts to my father-in-law who's done a lot for me and then one to... Joe Polish, who has also done a lot for me. I just sent text, just saying, just want to say thank you for X, Y, and Z. This is amazing. Thank you so much. It was not necessarily about receivership, but yeah. obviously think about why wouldn't that change how they feel about me? You know, and I'm doing it genuinely just because I'm like, and sh- you know, gratitude is powerful. Gratitude for the past, the present, and the future. You know, grat- you know, you're grateful, for example, for your fall. You know, I'm grateful for my episodes, but also choosing to be grateful and appreciative of. I think that's a good state to be in. I think that's why people gratitude journal as one example. I think 
for me, meditation is not thinking about nothing. For me, it's about putting myself in that frame of mind where I can mm -hmm. think from a perspective of gratitude, courage, faith, so I can make decisions about my future from those frames of mind rather than just how I feel right now. Yeah. It's choosing to get yourself into that beautiful state of mind where you have more faith, more courage, more hope, and making decisions from that frame of mind, journaling from that frame of mind, or making choices, yeah. and then telling people about what you want from that frame of mind. Yeah, you, I wrote down a quote. Um, you said, you must make your future self the new standard for your daily behavior. Love that. That's pretty bold, right? But that's how you make your future the driver of your current behavior. Yeah. That's how you can make your future the thing that's predicting who you are today, which is a powerful place to be. Right. Dude, I think it's also really cool how you went into the subconscious mind. That's like such a dark, mysterious territory. I feel like a lot of the self-help genre doesn't really go into. And I think that this is probably one of your um, high leverage points in, in your like whole career and story is, you know, the science behind how how the like the subconscious kind of works. What were your thoughts on the explanation I gave it in that chapter? Was it different from what you've seen in red? I mean, could you remind the listener maybe like what, what is it that, uh, that you said about the subconscious mind? Well, yeah. I mean, your subconscious is essentially you on autopilot, right? It's right. like, it's basically yourself, but it's, it's like the deeper version of you. So like your conscious mind is, could try to do things, you know, I could try to be positive, but if I'm accustomed to being negative and if I'm in negative environments and stuff like that, then that's, what's going to, that's what I'm going to naturally create because uh, that's what I've literally become accustomed to. Like how we view it is that the physical body is the unconscious mind. I actually think that Dispenza says the same thing, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. He totally does. I mean, that's, that's it, but it's just true. Your physical body is your subconscious mind and your yep. physical body is a, an emotional machine. As weird as that sounds, it, we were driven by emotions and we can create emotional addictions. For example, dopamine. And so what you end up doing is, is you unconsciously behave in ways that create emotions. So yeah. when I just unconsciously pick up my cell phone, it's really me just wanting to do a behavior that produces emotions, which is in this case, chemicals, dopamine. Right. And, and so we're driven by emotions, which our body has become you know, accustomed to, to having. And so said, when you try to do new... Yeah, go ahead. I think you said your memories are physical and your body is emotional. And you had it in big, bold, like extra large font. Love it. What did you think about that? It's super true, man. And it, like I've been doing the Joe Dispenza stuff for six months now, sitting in these long meditations and, and trying to get beyond my body. The body is so limiting. It's like who you currently are. It's your past. Like getting, like, getting beyond the initial reactions and emotions and twitchiness and pain of your body and saying like, just like the, the woman who um, had the hamstring injury and didn't run for 15 years. I've been really practicing that. And it's super true because my body was wrecked. Like my neck, my spine, I was seeing chiropractors all the time. I was doing massage. It's part of the reason I moved to Thailand was so I could have body work all the time. And now I don't need any of it. Because well, one is like, I can tap into my own like body and really feel it just from body scans and whatnot. Because I did a lot of Vipassana meditation while I was in Thailand. I did like a 10 day Vipassana retreat. Um, but now I'm like even beyond that where it's like, whatever the body is saying to you is, is not really all that important right now. Because it's just holding these feelings and emotions. If you can get beyond that, um, and really like, find this deeper like well and reservoir of like stillness and infinite creative potential 
you can put intention in there. You can put elevated emotions in there and you can really transcend whatever you're currently feeling in your body now. Um, and then if you, if you like double that with like fasting, like you talked about and journaling practices, which I tend to do like a deep one of like, I do a deep like three day fast, pretty much every three, four months. I'm typically like at a change of season. I try to like do that. full water and everything. You just fast from everything for three I days. I do water. So just water, only water. Three day water fast yeah. is pretty intense though, dude. So you do that every yeah. three months? Uh, I have been for the past um, two years. So I've done it uh, four times now. Dude, that's um, good. Yeah. Like these type of things are really like resetting to me and like, you know, wash away a lot of like the ways you've gotten slightly addicted to things and, you know, Dude, fasting is you a very powerful way to reset the subconscious. Let's just say that. Yeah. I'm super happy you talked about these things because they're all they're all true. And you really validated a lot of the truth and wisdom from some of the other mentors I found like Joe Dispenza, but also like what I've found through my experience as well. Yeah. And now you're teaching them too. So that's like, seems like the next level of the Maslow's hierarchy is like where you come to your full realization um, through kind of, teaching and imparting the wisdom to others it's also this is a personal question you know i mean since you've now been studying joe Dispenza so much i um so his work is incredible and i love it and i'm a big fan i very much wanted to make my book quite different in a slightly a different form of digestion because not everyone gets his work you know what i mean yeah what is your thoughts on I'm not comparing myself to Joe Dispenza anymore. I'm just saying the execution of my book, can you, did it feel pretty different from his work, although teaching similar things? Yes, it does. What was your take? Um, it feels like you're somebody that's kind of like more relatable to me than him. Um, he, he's been living in this different dimension and realm for many, many years. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, his voice is, is like very much, I think he is in a different dimension. I might not be in a different dimension. Right. <laughs> right. Like I, I feel like a lot of vibrational resonance with you. Like it, it feels much more, I feel empowered in that sense because you're just, you're, you're like me, you're similar to me. You're not some like otherworldly being like Joe Dispenza, <laughs> like, you know, talks to spirits like and all this sort of in a different world, right? Yeah, and he knows how to like journey back and forth, and he <laughs> he's incredibly amazing. He is, like, dude. He is, and I'm not trying to like. I just want to know, like, from a practical standpoint, because like when I wrote yeah. this, I was like, I don't want this to be like a Joe Dispenza book, but I love his work. You know, like I want. It's wanted not this to be... like a Joe Dispenza book. Like you definitely don't dive nearly as into like all the receptor sites in the brain and all this stuff like he tends to do. His is a lot more scientific in nature. Um, you do a lot of like beautiful storytelling, I would say. I wish Joe gave more storytelling. Sometimes I'm like trying to grasp for like what Joe means and like tell the story of my life, how it matches with that. Whereas you like actually put these like little mini biographies in your book to make it feel super relatable. Um, it's like, I don't know, you feel more like a, a coach or a, a friend or, you know, a mentor that's just the next level up. It's not like you're like, LeBron James or Kobe Bryant trying to train me to like be in the NBA next year. Like that's probably not likely, but like, you know, you're, but if I follow the path like that you're the, taking. Le, Dispenza is like at, at that way up level, right? And he's trying to dispense the knowledge from up there. Is that what I feel like? Yeah, I think so. There's a certain level of relatability um, with you. Um, you know, you're really also vulnerable about 
your past. You don't like, I feel like Joe Dispenza never talks about his past. He's always just only future oriented. Whereas you talk about like repackaging and retelling the story of your past. And you, you, you can like, I, I love the part of your book where you talked about how your wife and you went to hang out with your high school friends. And in the car, she said, I don't like who you are when you're with those people. And it was just so clear. Like that part was really relatable to me because no matter how far you've made it on your like purpose journey and you know your spiritual path, when you're put back in the environment with those influences that at a subconscious level are always going to probably just be trigger there. right back into that role, right? Come right back into it. And that was just like, huh, this is like a real guy. Like he's not some otherworldly being that only lives on like cloud nine and like knows the truth <laughs> in the way. It was yeah, great. Dude, I don't live on uh, cloud nine or club nine or club seven or some whatever <laughs> world that Joe Dispenza lives on. But he's a cool dude. I've, I've learned a lot from his work and, uh, I definitely go to it from time to time, but you have to get yourself in the right frame to listen to his stuff because it's very theoretical, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you two have been powerful influences on me. I I would say that you're like cousins or whatever in the same work and you're like the younger cousin probably. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Man, I, you Dude, I think you're probably doing the same. You're actually doing the same work, by the way. Like I'm listening to you talk and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see where you'll be in 10 years from now. Like, it's going to be amazing. Like, I, I don't know what it's going to be, but like all the stuff that you're absorbing and, you know, and just your level of faith, like it's going to be incredible to see where you are in 10 years from now. It's going to be so insane. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. I feel like probably how you were in like 2013 or 14 or something, like a few years removed from your mission trip. That's kind of me as well. Like now I'm, I'm, I've been traveling forever. I've been in Thailand. I just got married to my wife and we moved back and I'm sponsoring her green card. We send off the application next week. So there's still like so many beginnings starting right now for me. Um, Beautiful, dude. I'm excited to get some momentum going once I'm more like in a stable environment that I've designed and cultivated and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Love life, man. It's, It's always worth it. Awesome, man. Was there anything else you want to hit and hammer before we end it? We can go, we can go another direction or two before we call it. Um, yeah, I just wanted to like validate, like, I love how you quote so many heroes of mine throughout the book. Like Kamal Ravikant is another like out of the ordinary mentor that you seem to have as well. Like his book super changed my life when I was traveling and he does a lot of the same stuff you talk about. It's like working through your past. Um, like he, he took this big trip to his home roots in India to like bury his get rid of his father's ashes or whatever and then he hiked a trail and found wisdom i I just really like appreciate the way you you bring these people into your life and now you actually like have mentors like you're friends with dan sullivan and tucker max and you got like seth godin to like give a review for your book this is like the the next level that i want to do now that i'm back in the u.s is i want to actually be in like community with these people like i wrote one thing you told me to do before our interview was tell me, let you know the future self I've developed from reading your book. Nice, dude. Um, one of the, one of the core things I wrote down in my, in my journal here is um, that I'm uh, meeting and knowing um, major influences in the purpose space, and these people are my friends. Um, that's like the next like hack I want to be able to to find what recommendations or advice do you have for getting these like super high level mentors to um, be like a friend to you and someone that you are in touch with on a, you know, 
a normal basis. They're not just some like esteemed figure that are on cloud nine. <laughs> cloud nine or club nine. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there's an article I once wrote called, I think, how to get there. I wrote several relationships on the, I mean, articles on the subject of what I call transformational relationships. And um, I can send you links to those, but essentially, I mean, there's so many things to do. One is obviously have extreme gratitude for their work. Two is apply it and, and successfully apply it in your life and then become a testimonial of those people yeah. where you reach them and talk about, you know, how you've used their work to change their life. You know, kind of similar to what you're doing with Dispenza, investing in his groups or his products and getting yourself in proximity to his people and maybe even proximity to him. You know, ultimately choosing the few people that you really, you can meet many people and develop great relationships, but choosing the few that you really want to learn from or work from and putting yourself in their ecosystem, you know, investing in their work. You know, they're, they're putting out products or doing courses or whatnot, like actually being in that world, you know, investing in their work. Um, and learning from it and then ultimately, you know, giving them much of the credit for your success mm -hmm. and uh, continuing to help elevate their goals. You know, for me, with when it came to Dan Sullivan, as an example, we've got a book coming out called Who Not How in October, a book that we've written with Hay House, which is actually the same publisher that Joe Dispenza is out at. And, um, you know, that was honestly a favor for Dan, but it's also a favor for me. Like, when I met him and he, he was teaching about who, not how, I was like, Dan, can I turn that into a major book? You don't even have to write it. I'll write it. Your name can be on it. And let's try to get a ton of people into strategic coach. He, he didn't have a hard time saying yes to that. You know what I mean? And so you can get mentored by someone by helping them achieve their goals. Right. Um, and so I just think that it's, you know, there's that Zig Ziglar quote that, um, you know, you can get anything you want in life by helping other people get what they want. Yeah. And why wouldn't you want to help the people who are influencing you most? Why wouldn't you want to help them get what they want, you know, and help make their life easier and, and be a giver uh, and be incredibly generous and grateful and uh, give them the credit. You don't need the credit. You know, givers also give credit, don't take credit. And um, so I just think cool. that's kind of a lot of it, man. Investing in yourself, investing in them. And uh, following what they learn, giving them the credit, trying to help them accomplish what they're trying to accomplish, never being a needy guy, you know, never, never overimposing yourself on them, just being, you know, because a lot of people in their worlds are asking them for help, you know, right. and they, and it can be, it's probably refreshing to have someone who's just giving them help. Yeah. Well, how can, uh, how can I or anyone listening that wants you to be this kind of mentor, um, give you help? What is the larger thing you're after right now that feels too large for your current self, but you know your future self's capable of? Yeah, I mean, I think, a legacy question if you want to end the interview on that. Well, I think right now it's mostly just about reading personalities and permanent and then sharing it with people. I think that that's the major thing you can do to help me right now is actually read the book, go through it, and then share it with people. Share it with, you know, that's the major thing that would help me the most. Cool. Awesome. So yeah, your book comes out June 16th and where can people find it? Where can people find you? You can find the book pretty much anywhere where you buy books, Amazon, Kindle, Audible, Barnes and Noble. And my website is benjaminhardy.com. You can find free online courses at benjaminhardy.com, my, uh, my blog posts. So yeah, get the book. 
Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I know it's time to wrap up. So I really appreciate the time we got to share together. Ben slash Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Um, it was really, really cool to get to meet you and yeah, read your book and look forward to our future interactions. It'll be fun, man. It'll be crazy to see where you're at and uh, really grateful and excited to meet you. Cool. Thank you very much for being on People of Purpose. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this episode or the podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, join our intentional group Purpose Seekers from the Facebook page. Join in longer form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sales and write your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming 